Well, do you wonder if God listens to you? If you think of praying to God and you want to pray a prayer that he would want to listen to, what would you pray? And what sort of person would you need to be so that he would listen? What I find interesting about the prayer that we read this morning, we're looking at this morning, is it a prayer that God listens to. But it's a prayer that's prayed when Jonah's weak, and the prayer itself is not perfect. Uh, this morning's talk divides into three parts. Uh, part one, God answers our cries of distress. Part two, God answers, even when we think he may not. And part three, answers the question, what do we look to? And the surprising answer, perhaps, is that we look to God's temple. So firstly, God answers our cries of distress. Verse 2, he said, that is Jonah, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. See, that's how God relates to people. He listens to their cries of distress. He doesn't wait for someone to be perfect and be in a good position to call out. He listens to them in distress. And it's not just Jonah. Um, from Psalm 107, uh, some Israelites are in trouble, we'll see here. It's on the screen behind me. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness. Prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labour. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Sometimes I think I need to be good enough for God to listen. But you notice those Israelites, they weren't good enough, were they? They were in trouble, they were in real distress, and they cried out, and God listened. It's almost like the exact opposite of having to be good enough. It's almost like we have to have nothing. See, when Jonah was deep in distress, deep in the realm of the dead, he says in verse 2, God listened to him. And Jesus, in Matthew 18, takes a similar view when talking to the disciples. They're all wondering about who's going to be greatest and all this stuff. And Jesus says, Matthew 18, verse 3, and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, it's not about us being good enough for God to listen. It's about us calling out to God, like a little child. That is, someone with nothing, with no importance, with no significance. Some of you may know that I did uh, karate for a few years. Uh, there are quite a few similarities I noticed between karate and Christianity. Uh, both involve groups. Both have groups within groups. So the group I belong to is called the Japan Karate Association. That is one of many. There are others in the National Karate Academy and so on and so forth. And they all do slightly different things. A bit like there's Ankins and there's Baptists and, there's, and so on and so forth. When I started karate, I actually joined a new karate church plant just near where I lived. Um, some people from Brighton, funnily enough, um, had 
planted a group just near my house in Clay Valley Park and uh, took some people from Brighton and put them there and, uh, and I went and joined them, which was terrific. I uh, learned a lot of things. And one of the aims of karate uh, is to improve your karate. And if you don't attend karate, I've found, if you don't attend for a while, your karate gets worse. Uh, a bit like you might find uh, with your Christian life, if you don't rock up to church. But the other thing I think is really interesting is the word karate actually comes from two words. Uh, kara, I understand, means empty, and tei means hand. So when you turn up to karate, you don't bring knives, guns, bats, or whatever. You just turn up with empty hands. I think it's a great picture of us as Christians. We don't come to God bringing all this stuff. We just have to come to God bringing empty hands. Like Jonah, we can cry out in our distress. Or as Jesus said, we come like little children. That is, lowly and unimportant. Well, it's more than the fact that we come as unimportant. See, God answers prayers. He listens in spite of our guilt. As we saw last week, Jonah is not an innocent man. He is guilty, isn't he? He tried to run away from God. Of course, that's a bit difficult. Um, God sent a great storm. and God, Jonah's answer to the great storm was not to say, take me back to Nineveh, that's where I need to be, but to say, throw me overboard. And the Israelites, uh, that we read about before in Psalm 107, who cried out, they were in trouble not because of bad luck or old age or something like that, but, Psalm 107, verse 11, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. They were no different. Ephesians 2, verse 1, Paul describes uh, the people he's writing to, as for you... You are dead in your transgressions and sins. See, we're not good people who've unfortunately uh, run into a bit of trouble, just sort of didn't deserve that, but ended up in a bad situation. The Bible says that's not the case. The Bible says we are guilty, and the Bible says that God answers, even though we are guilty. He answers us. And he answers us in spite of his judgment. See, that is... Who's brought the trouble on Jonah? Well, it's God, isn't it? Uh, Jonah acknowledges that very clearly. Verse 3. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And similarly, the Israelites in Psalm 107. So he subjected them to bitter labour. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. See, God's brought the trouble. It's, uh, I love the little, I love little kids and watching how they react sometimes. And I love watching these little kids who think, right, this is it. I'm going to take a stand against mum or dad or whichever one it might be. And they, mum or dad, tells them, do this. And so little Jimmy does the exact opposite and then gets in trouble and cries. And who does he look to for comfort? The parent who's causing the pain that's making him cry. It's actually sensible, isn't it? So even though God is the one who can cause us trouble, who can be judging us like he judged Jonah, even then, 
it's still appropriate for us to turn to God. And God will save us from his anger too. See, that's the whole pattern of Christianity, really, isn't it? John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. God sent Jesus, his Son, to take away, well, actually, to take away his anger, his wrath. So God answers us even though we are guilty, and even though he is, he is causing us the trouble. But he also saves from the impossible. See, Jonah was in real trouble. I take it he couldn't swim. But, verse 5, The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, the seaweed was wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. That's Jonah's situation. He is in dire straits. The earth, he says, barred him in forever. He couldn't swim. He's down the bottom of the ocean and the seaweed was wrapped around his head. He is as good as dead. But despite that, God saves him. Nothing is impossible for God. Uh, Jesus says similar things about, about how he will save people in Mark 10. He says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them, You're not up with me. So, Mark 10, has the controller left? No? Oh, here you go. Magic. No? Thank you. Where are we? The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. See, some people have lots of objections to becoming Christians. They might say, You know, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what I'm like. Or, It's too late for me. But God says, nothing's impossible. God saved Jonah, even from the bottom of the ocean, when the seaweed is wrapped around his head. It wasn't too late for him. God listens. He loves to listen. And he listens, despite us not being perfect. See, Jonah wasn't perfect. He was, of course, running away from God. And even his prayer from inside the fish didn't look great. You see, he doesn't say, sorry, I'll head to Nineveh. Uh, verses 8 and 9 seem just a bit much. Have a look. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, what I, have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. I want to say, Really? Those who cling to worthless idols? Jonah, you were sent to them and you refused to go. How can you speak as though somehow, you know, I'm better? And the sailors who were on the ship, do you remember their actions? They were, they were loving and kind towards Jonah, while Jonah 
had brought trouble on them, he said. And the way Jonah talks about himself also shows that he's not perfect. Look at the use of the word I. But I, verse 9, what I have vowed. It's a bit like he's saying, I will do what I've said. Not, I'll do what God has said. And I wonder if how Jonah came onto the land also shows that perhaps that prayer wasn't excellent. Perhaps it's God's way of saying, uh-uh. Or the fish perhaps even saying, enough of this rubbish. Have a look, verse 10. And God commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The fish could have placed him on dry land. It could have set him down there. It didn't. It went, enough of this garbage. And what we'll see in chapter 4 is that Jonah is in fact not right. He, the way he's thinking is not good and not correct. But despite all this, God listens. See, God doesn't count exactly every bad thing Jonah may have done and hold that against him. He still listens in spite of all these things. He's so willing to act for us. He responds to Jonah and saves his life, even though... Um, Jonah does wrong. It's God who's judged him. Jonah was almost dead. And Jonah still isn't perfect. Jonah's story is a bit like the story of the prodigal son. See, in the prodigal son, the son asks for the inheritance. He gets the inheritance. He goes off. Then he gets, of course, spends the inheritance, gets in trouble, thinks he'll be better off back home as a servant. And so we pick up the story in Luke 10, verse 20, on the screen behind me. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. See, God, of course, is represented by the father in this story. And, and when does the father welcome the son? See, it's actually, the son hasn't even said a word yet. The father rushes out to him. That's how much the father wants to love that son. Represents how much God wants to love us. He's so quick to love, even when we're not perfect. And like uh, that son, Jonah had done one thing correct. Surprisingly, it was that Jonah has looked to God's temple. See, interestingly, the son, all he's done right at this stage is turn up home and he's welcomed. And similarly, Jonah looks to God's temple. Have a look at verse 4. He says, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Or verse 7, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. 
I've put up here a picture of the temple for those who are visual amongst us. There it is. So there's bits where only the nations, sorry, where the nations could go. There are bits inside where only Israelites could go. There are bits further inside where priests could go and so on and so forth. And right in the middle was the place where God put his name. And that was where people would look towards. Solomon's prayer describes what it would be like. He says, uh, from 1 Kings 8, he says, When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies who take them captive to their own lands, far away or near, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captives and say, We have sinned, we have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land your ancestors, you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. See, that temple is where the Israelites would look towards. That's where God had put his name. And similarly, uh, when Daniel is in a bit of strife in Babylon, what does he do? Daniel 6 verse 10. Now when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem is, of course, where the temple was where God had put his name. That is, Jonah hasn't just randomly chosen to pray towards the temple. That's where God had put his name. That's where the Israelites would have focused their prayers. But for us, of course, the temple we look towards is different. Jesus has fulfilled that temple. John 2. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. See, for us, it makes sense to look at, uh, to Jesus. But before we look at another passage describing that from John's Gospel, just a bit of Old Testament background. And you may remember that after the Israelites uh, came out of Egypt in what we call the Exodus, they were often getting in trouble. They were always doing the wrong thing. And on one occasion, God sent a bunch of snakes to them, which killed them. But then, uh, he gave them another option. And so it says, uh, Numbers 21, from verse 8, The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. And so Jesus refers to this story. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And John's explanation, very famous one of course, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So just as God saved Jonah 
when he looked towards the temple. And he saved the Israelites when they looked towards the snake on a pole. So Jesus said, Jesus will himself be lifted up like a snake. Anyone who believes in him, which I take it is fairly similar to just looking towards him, will be saved. That's what God's character is like. It's not extraordinarily difficult to get him to listen to us. He delights to listen to us. He delights to hear our cries of distress and to answer us. He hears them even though we are guilty, even though we may be under his judgment, even when it seems impossible, and even though we still aren't perfect. So, whatever's going on, uh, let's turn to God. Let's call on him because he loves to hear us and he welcomes us.